Welcome to this podcast featuring well-known Bible teacher, Kevin Connor. For more information, visit kevinconnor.org. We'd like to welcome everybody. This is the advanced track where you have to think. Okay. So if, if you say Kevy's heavy, Bevy's are too heavy, then you're in the wrong class. Okay. All right. So I'm going to ask St. Reen. You've got to realize that we are all called to be saints. So you don't have to wait for Rome to sanctify you. She's Saint Reem. So she's going to pray and ask the pontificial blessing on us tonight. (laughs) Thank you. Let's pray. Father, we just uh, thank you tonight for the privilege of just coming together to listen to your word. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. Lord, your word is health to our bones. Your word is strength to us. Your word uplifts us and upholds us. And so tonight, Lord, as we open our hearts to you and to your word, Father, we pray that you will quicken this word to our hearts and our lives. And Father, that uh, as we receive your word, Lord, that you will just... Just bless each one tonight. Lord, let fresh revelation come. Lord, let uh, just an unveiling of your word come to our hearts and our lives. Lord, that we will enter into that deeper relationship with you through your precious word. Now bless Kevin as he ministers the word. Give him freedom of speech and anoint your word to our hearts and our lives. In Jesus' wonderful name, Amen. amen. Everybody said amen. Thank you, St. Rean. <laughs> All right, uh, we just, as I said before, I'd like to welcome everybody to the class and uh, trust that you'll really uh, get something from that. Uh, when I was in uh, Portland Bible College many years ago, uh, my son-in-law, Frank DeMazzo, is going to be here with us in uh, November sometime. Uh, we used to try and come up with different titles uh, for the books of the Bibles, like, so we had Emeralds from Hebrews, <laughs> you know, and I've just done a seminar up in Malaysia on roaming through Revelation. Then we did Gems from Genesis and uh, Messages from Matthew. So we came up with this one, Pearls from Peter. So we hope you enjoy the pearls that we're going to share. All right, now, I'd like to encourage you, if you haven't read First and Second Peter, you've only got about five or eight chapters altogether, I'd like to encourage you to read, read the epistles before you get to the class so that you keep ahead of me because we're just going to do pearls from Peter. Won't be able to do an exposition on it all. And so... That's it. So I encourage you to read First and Second Peter along with your regular reading here. <clears throat> All right, now on, on, uh, on your notes here on page one, I just want to do a few introductory things and uh, uh, comments here before we move into our uh, session proper here under A. So under introductory, uh, introductory comments here, uh, I've just got my note here. The Apostle Peter was the fisherman shepherd of the 12 Apostles of the Lamb. The two epistles he wrote are packed with pearls of wisdom and uh, you find that the pearl is the only living gem of all precious stones. First Peter deals with the first coming of Christ, sufferings and glory. Second Peter deals with the events relative, uh, relative to the second coming and this uh, series will 
will particularly deal with uh, some of the spiritual gems that we have here. All right, Peter simply means a stone or a rock. He's not the rock upon which the church is built, but he's a stone, a living stone. We'll be doing a session on that. And uh, it's interesting here to notice uh, just a little bit of background here that you need uh, as we launch into the pearls from Peter. At the time, there was no New Testament canon of books written. We don't have them. Uh, the New Testament is still in the process of being written, and so we don't have any uh, uh, New Testament as we know it today. And then First uh, uh, and Second Peter, as far as we can gather, uh, both these epistles are written between uh, about AD 63 to 65 or through to 67. And uh, you've got to remember the, the setting the historical setting of the epistles here because um, uh, it's only a few years before the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. And uh, according to history, uh, Josephus and a few others tell us that about AD 66, while Peter's in the process somewhere of writing the epistles here, AD 66, uh, uh, Rome had sent Prince uh, Vespasian against Jerusalem and against the temple and everything like that. Then there was trouble back at Rome and uh, so they called uh, Prince Vespasian back and about three and a half years later in AD 70 uh, Prince Titus was sent with the Roman armies and they destroyed the city and the temple. And so at the time when this uh, book was written uh, we find that the uh, particularly the Christians have been scattered abroad. Uh, they were called the dispersion. We'll read that in a moment here and what we find is that uh, uh, the temple was destroyed the city was destroyed uh, the Jews had been scattered and they're going through a lot of persecution just for being Christians and so uh, let's turn over to 1st Peter chapter 1 just uh, just to confirm a little bit of what I've been saying here 1st Peter chapter 1 And I'm reading from uh, either Old Authorised or New King James here. So First uh, Peter chapter 1, and I'll read from both of them. Old Authorised says uh, just verse 1 and 2. First Peter chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Uh, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, uh, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience, and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. New Authorized puts it, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So pilgrims, as I said, the historical setting is that the uh, city, uh, city of Jerusalem has been destroyed, temple has been destroyed, and uh, according to Josephus, he says that uh, uh, when, the, when the Christians saw Prince Titus and the Roman army surrounding the army, uh, uh, surrounding the city, pardon me. He said they fled from the city of Jerusalem as, uh, as from a sinking ship. And this is a remarkable testimony of Josephus, a Jewish unbeliever, a Jewish historian. He says not one Christian was known to have lost his life in the destruction of the city of Jerusalem way back there in, in AD 70. So that gives you a sort of setting. And uh, two key words in the first epistle uh, is the word, are the words sufferings and glory. Uh, both of them are mentioned 16 times, sufferings and the glory. So Christians were going through a lot of persecution at the time. All right, now uh, let's go to our, our page one here up the top here. 
on the introductory, as will be seen in our series on studies in Pearls from Peter, it's impossible to properly understand and interpret the epistles of Peter without a reasonable working knowledge of both Old and New Testament. I'd like to encourage you to take down a couple of thoughts here. Um, I've gone through, in my own expositions on these epistles, I found that at least 17 Old Testament books were quoted by Peter in this epistle. And I've just made a list of them, you don't have to take them all down. But just to give you an idea that unless you understand both Old and New Testament, because we'll be weaving both together, uh, we're not going to you know, get too much out of the, out of the epistle. So uh, in, in the epistle of Peter or the epistles, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy, there's quotations from those books, from the Torah or the five books of the law. And then uh, Psalms, Proverbs, Isaiah... Job, Hosea, Ezekiel, Zechariah, Daniel, uh, Jeremiah, Habakkuk, and Micah, at least 17 Old Testament books are quoted by uh, Peter in his epistles. So you can see they they were just saturated. And as I've got here, Peter, as a Jewish believer, reading off your note here, was saturated with Old Testament writings. This is evidence in his epistles as he constantly weaves Old Testament scriptures with New Testament revelation. So it's really important to understand that. And uh, just for my own benefit, you might like to make a brief note of of it. I went through every Old Testament reference in the epistles of Peter, and this is what I found. Uh, In 1 Peter, there are 105 verses quoted from the Old Testament. That's just 1 Peter alone. And then in 2 Peter, I found that there were at least 61 verses quoted from the Old Testament. And so when you put the total together, you have at least 166 verses quoted from the Old Testament by Peter. Do you know what it ends up? It ends up that Peter only wrote about 65 verses of epistles. (laughs) He's a bit of a shrewd man, wasn't he, eh? But uh, he was so saturated with the Old Testament. And so he's weaving Old Testament all the way through as we're going to see in our our time together. So 65 verses of Peter's writings and 166 uh, uh, verses from the Old Testament. And then uh, I didn't go through all the New Testament cross-references. There's just too many. I just made a a list of them. Okay, so as I said uh, in our note here, it's impossible to understand the epistles of Peter without understanding a little bit uh, of some of the Old Testament scriptures. And uh, uh, some of you have heard me say this before. Some people say, well, Kevin, I'm a New Testament man. How many think that sounds real spiritual, Uh, but dumb? (laughs) See, I'm not an Old Testament man. They say, Kevin, you're an Old Testament man. I'm a New Testament man. Say, no, I'm a Bible man. Because as uh, some of the early church fathers said uh, about the Old and Old and New Testament, the new is in the old contained, the old is in the new explained, the old is in the new concealed, the new is in the old revealed, no, the old is in the new revealed, the old is in the new conceived, and the old is in the new believed. Everybody say that after me, okay? (laughs) Okay. 
Okay, something like that. So it's impossible to understand uh, New Testament books without the Old Testament books. That's why we've got to be Bible people. Everybody said amen. And as I read in that first note, uh, why we call this Pearls, uh, pearls from Peter, um, just, uh, the, just the formation of a pearl is very interesting. Uh, uh, according to the authorities, they say a little grain of sand or something gets into the side of the oyster, sets up an irritation, and then uh, it just sends out a, a liquid like narca, I think it's called, and just layer upon layer until that pearl is formed. So as we go through here, you're going to see tremendous pearls that are in the epistle uh, of Peter. So pearls of divine revelation. And uh, I like to use, and I think you've got the scripture there, uh, Peter's writings evidence the formation of pearls of divine revelation as seen in principle in Isaiah chapter 28, verse 11 to 13, where he says, Word of the Lord was unto them, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little, precept upon precept, layer upon layer. In other words, uh, and uh, Sunday night by Sunday night. Okay, that's how the pearl is formed. So uh, we're going to look at uh, some of our lessons here. All right, now I want you to go with me and I want to read First Peter and then we're going to go over to where Peter is quoting from. So let's open our Bibles now to First uh, Peter. Everybody doing okay? You're starting to think? Thank you for the underwhelming response, as my son says. Okay, now, we'll be doing this bit by bit because there's so much here, but uh, let's pick up uh, what we're going to do in our first pearl tonight, and we're going to sort of look at uh, pearls from uh, the Pearl of Pentecost, I've called this one. So, uh, First Peter chapter 2, and uh, because we've got enough to cover in this first session here, uh, let's go down to verse 9, uh, First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. And, uh, and verse 10. So he says here, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, uh, peculiar people, say, old authorized says, but not peculiar in the head. Uh, none of us are peculiar to that way tonight, I don't think. Uh, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. All right, now let's go across, because as we look at the language here, it's impossible to understand what we're going to be sharing tonight on this part, on verse 9, without seeing where Peter quotes it from. And what we see Peter do, he actually goes back to the book of Exodus, chapter 19, which I'd encourage you to look at. Exodus chapter 19, and he takes a commission and a purpose that was given to Israel in the Old Testament, and now he applies it to the church. Uh, and we see the church to be the fulfillment of what, uh, what uh, Israel was originally called to be. So let's turn to Exodus chapter 19. Now I want you to constantly keep in mind as we weave things together that uh, the new is in the old contained, and the old is in the new explained. So, Exodus chapter 19. And we'll pick up in uh, uh, verse, uh, verse 1, Exodus chapter 19, and I want to read from uh, verses 1 through to 6. 
Now, as I read through, you'll notice where Peter is picking up all covenant language that was spoken to Israel. So he says here, in the third month after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on the same day they came to the wilderness of Sinai. For they had departed from Rephidim, had come to the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness. So Israel camped there before the mountain. And Moses went up to God. You never go down to God, you always go up. Amen. And the Lord called to him from the mountain saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice, keep my covenant, then you shall be of a special treasure or peculiar treasure, special treasure, peculiar uh, treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And notice where Peter quotes now from, and you shall be to me a, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid, them, uh, laid before them all these words which the Lord commanded him. Pray the Lord will bless his word to our heart. Okay, now as you look at your notes here on page one, you'll notice here uh, Acts chapter uh, correction there, 738 it should be. Acts 738. Israel is referred to as the church in the wilderness. Uh, the Greek word there, church, has been uh, in some of the newer translations changed into congregation. But the Greek word is ekklesia, uh, the church. Uh, upon this rock I'll build my church, my ekklesia or ecclesia. So Israel is referred to as the church in the wilderness. Now, you'll notice the Old Testament, the emphasis is on, we'll be breaking this up in a moment, obedience, the covenant, it's the old covenant. They would be a peculiar treasure to, to the Lord. They would be a kingdom of priests and they were called to be a holy nation and this is spoken to the church in the wilderness. Now when Peter, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, picks, uh, picks it up, he uses almost similar language, obedience. Uh, we read that verse, the obedience uh, and the sprinkling of the blood. He's writing to new covenant people. They are called to be peculiar pre uh, people now. The treasure becomes people, and they are to be royal, priesthood, or kingly, a priesthood. Then they're called to be a holy nation, and he's writing to the church, the ecclesia of the New Testament. So you just see the correspondence between the Old Testament church, Israel, the church in the wilderness, and the New Testament church. All right, now, I want to break up under letter B here. And some very important things for us to pick up if we're going to understand here. So um, this is referred to as the Feast of Pentecost. All right, now a little bit of fill-in that you can write uh, uh, as we go along here. Um, number one, they came to the mountain. And what mountain was this? It was Mount Sinai where the Lord had spoken to Moses uh, sometime before. Uh, when they put down, you can put down the scripture here, Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 and verse 12. When God appeared to Moses in the burning bush, he told him, he said, I want you to go down and deliver the people of Israel out of bondage, out of Egyptian bondage, and uh, bring them forth, and they will worship God upon this mountain. So mountain, the mount of God, or Mount Horeb, or Mount Sinai. Uh, this was the token to Moses that Israel would serve God on this mountain. Number two, very simple things but very profound. 
Number two, it's the third month. The third month is the Feast of Pentecost, as we call it. Passover is the first month. Passover, there's no purpose revealed. Feast of Passover in Exodus chapter 12 is deliverance by the blood of the Passover lamb. That's it. But they don't know the purpose of their deliverance. And so Passover was the first month of the sacred year, Exodus 12. And we have all the details of the deliverance through the Passover lamb. But now the third month, they come to the Feast of Weeks, Old Testament language, or Feast of Pentecost as we understand it, Leviticus chapter 23. So where do we see the fulfillment of this? Remember Jesus said um, uh, in, in Matthew's Gospel, in fact, this is not on your notes, but turn over to it if you've got your Bible there, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. And the particular verse I'm after. Um, I might just have to quote it. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, I should be able to find it. Uh, He says that heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. And he said, I came not to destroy. Anybody help me on that? Uh, Verse 18. thought it was that. Okay, there's a problem having two translations here. Yes, so verily I say unto you, uh, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Uh, and then uh, chapter 11 in the same, same gospel. And verse uh, 13 or verse 12 and 13, he said, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent taken by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. So, okay, so it's a prophecy. And so the third month. So where do we see the fulfillment of it? Jesus said, I'm not come to destroy the law of the prophets. I'm come to fulfill. Not one jot or tittle shall pass uh, away till all be fulfilled. So in the, in the Gospels, we see the fulfillment of the Feast of Passover. But it's in the book of Acts, we see the fulfillment of Pentecost. Only feast that's never been fulfilled in the church, which... Uh, uh, J.A. Cease recognizes the Feast of Tabernacles, which is a whole subject in itself. All right, so uh, number two, the third month, the Feast of Pentecost. Here God reveals his purpose. All right, number four, number three, the Egyptian plagues. And one verse you might like to put down on there, the Egyptian plagues. Exodus chapter 12 and verse 12, when God sent Moses down to uh, Egypt, He said, against all the gods of Egypt will I execute judgment. So Exodus 12 and verse 12. Uh, The Egyptians worshipped everything. They worshipped the river Nile. They worshipped frogs. They worshipped lice. That's why they were lousy at times. Uh, They they worshipped all these things. They worshipped the firstborn. And God said, against all the gods of Egypt, I'm going to execute judgment. And so that's what the Lord did. Exodus 12, 12, until he touched the firstborn. Judgment on the, all their gods. Now, it's very important for us to pick up that Passover, we are delivered by the blood of the Lamb, but in Pentecost, we should have purpose. How many can say amen on that? What's the purpose of it all? What's the purpose of our deliverance? And then under number four, uh, God says in that chapter we read, 
He said, you, you, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Bringing, and he uses the pig, uh, figure of the eagle. Why don't we turn to the scripture there? Deuteronomy chapter 32, it's on your notes. Deuteronomy 32 and verse 11 and 12. So God uses the picture of the eagle, and uh, the language is very good here. 32, uh, Deuteronomy 32 and verse 11 and 12. And he says, as an eagle, and wherever you see an as, you generally see the so. That's in verse 12. So as an eagle, verse 12, so the Lord. So as and so, comparative mention principle. So as an eagle stirs up her nest, flutters over her young, spreads abroad her wings, takes them and bears them on her wings, so the Lord alone did lead him, and there was no strange God with him. Let's break up the verse. Um, all of us are called to be eagle saints. You know, what's these little nubs back here? <laughs> Not for backbiters, but to learn to fly. They that wait upon the Lord shall what? Mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run, not be weary, shall walk and not faint. So waiting on the Lord, we're, we're, we're like eagle saints. And that's why when you get to the book of Revelation, the, the woman there is given the wings of a great eagle to fly into a place. Now, the Lord uses that. So we have a few little thoughts here. As the eagle stirs up her nest. So when the eagle is a young the uh, mother eagle generally builds the nest out of uh, feathers and wool, any soft things is uh, there. And as the eagles, uh, eaglets are young, they're being fed by the mother. But there comes a time when mum says it's time for the eaglets to get out the nest and exercise their wings. So the first thing is, as the eagle stirs up a nest. And so what's happening here? Remember the Lord saying, I bear you on eagles into myself. So the uh, mother eagle starts pulling the nest to pieces. Has anybody ever had their nest pulled to pieces here? I think some of you have because you come from different places and you're getting too comfortable there and God just, you know. So he starts pulling the nest to pieces and of course the nest is made out of briars and sticks and thorns and they start to get the point, you know. Everything's getting uncomfortable. You see, Israel was getting too comfortable in the land of Goshen. They had the best of the land under Joseph's time and under Pharaoh and the succeeding Pharaoh. Another Pharaoh arose and knew not the Lord and didn't know Joseph. And so the Lord's going to start picking their nest to pieces. And then he flutters over her young. So the eagle flutters with her wings there. And, uh, and the poor little eaglets are thinking, just mum, leave us alone. You know, I mean, you're picking our nest to pieces. Everything's getting uncomfortable in City Life Church here, you know. But she's trying to get the message. Anyway, she keeps peck, picking the nest to pieces until it gets so uncomfortable that the eaglets jump onto her wings. She spreads aboard her wings. And then off she goes. And the poor little eaglets are hanging on for grim life. As the, oh, it's wonderful flying up here in heavenly places. It's wonderful. 
And then what does mum do when she gets up high? Flips them all off. And the poor little eaglets are just going down there singing, rescue the perishing, care for the dying, snatch them in pity, and we're going to hit rock bottom here. And just before they hit rock bottom, Mother Eagle swoops under them, and they grab hold of her wings, their hearts are palpitating, they've got heart attacks, they're having nervous breakdowns, everything. And she does it all again. Does anybody identify with this? I've had my nest picked to pieces a few times, getting too comfortable. So he takes them up again and repeats it all again and then flips them off. And then eventually they start thinking, oh, what's these little nubs I've got at the back of me here? They're wings. They're not meant for backbiters. They're meant to fly. Okay? So after this happens, they start to flap their wings and off they go. And that's the, what's the, the, that's the figure the Lord's using. I brought you on eagle's wings. So he breaks up our nests and makes things uncomfortable sometimes just to get us flying. How many can say amen? So the Lord alone did lead them and uh, there was no strange God with him. Hallelujah. All right, number five. Notice the whole thing is here that I brought you on the eagle's wings to bring you unto myself. That's it. Our ultimate thing is our relationship with the Lord to bring us to himself. Not just to be redeemed by the blood of the Passover lamb and be a happy, clappy church, but God has a purpose here. Um, You've seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bear you on the eagle's wings and brought you unto myself. The ultimate is the Lord himself. Uh, Exodus 19, verse 17, I've got there. And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp I like this little sentence here, to meet with God. That's it. He brought them out of the camp to meet with God. When we gather on the weekend, Sundays and that particularly, and Saturdays, keeping the Sabbath here, we're here to meet with God. Everybody said amen? amen? Meeting with God. All right, so that's the Feast of Pentecost. Very important to realize that, that God's purpose is revealed in the Feast of Pentecost. All right, now let's go over to page two here. And uh, just uh, breaking down some of the language that we've got here. You'll notice number one here, the purpose of Pentecost. Now, what's the purpose of it all? Passover was simply deliverance by the blood of the Passover lamb to get them out of Egypt, to come to Pentecost, come to uh, Sinai, and receive the purpose of God. All right, now, number one, the first thing he says, if, verse 5, of Exodus 19, I'm back in. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice. Number one, the issue is obedience. Uh, I put it down there, Romans chapter 5. Um, Paul puts it down uh, in Romans chapter 5, verse 12 to 21, and First Peter ch- uh, chapter 1, verse 2. Issue is obedience. Why did Adam and Eve fall? Through disobedience. By one man's disobedience, sin entered the world. By one man's obedience, can many be made righteous. The issue is obedience. So uh, Andrew Murray, I think, is the one that said this. He said, Christ died to bring us back to the obedience from which Adam fell. I think that's a very good sentence. Picked it up years ago. Christ died to bring us back to the obedience from which Adam fell. The issue is obedience. 
So Adam, they failed in obedience. The first man, first woman. Uh, Revelation ends up, blessed are they that keep his commandments that they might have the right to the tree of life. Disobedience forfeited the tree of life. Obedience alone regains it. So the issue is obedience. And uh, right through Abraham, God said about Abraham, he will obey my voice. Issue is obedience. Sanctification, 1 Peter 1, 2, sanctification unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus, obeying the truth. So the issue is obedience. Now, notice on this next one here, number two, if you will obey my voice, and number two, keep my covenant. Now, most expositors seem to miss this, but uh, some of the other things will just confirm this. Uh, keep my covenant, the, the I wills of God. I want you to sort of, uh, we'll use the uh, whiteboard a little bit here. A lot of, a lot of exp- expositors put it this way. That they just missed something here. Now the only covenant that Israel know anything about at the moment, up to this time, I'll just breathe out here, is the AC or the Abrahamic covenant. Now remember when God came to Moses at the burning bush. Let me see if I can find that particular verse. Exodus chapter 3. Yes, in verse 6, Exodus 3 verse 6, he says, uh, Draw not nigh hither. Draw not near this place. I'll go into New King James. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them uh, out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up from, uh, up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Parasites, Parasites, and the Hivites and the Jebusites and so forth. Uh, come now and I'm going to send you. So the only covenant that they know anything about at the moment is the Abrahamic covenant. The Mosaic covenant or the law covenant is not yet being given. That's very important to keep in mind for, because of some of the other things. So if you obey my voice, Abraham obeyed my voice and keep my covenant. And so... They were to be a covenant people. You and I are called to be a covenant people. How many can say amen? We're in new covenant. This is the new covenant in my blood. So we have correspondence there, new covenant in my blood. So keep my covenant. Now, the only covenant they know about and the sign and seal of, of the Abrahamic covenant was circumcision. If you keep my covenant, anybody who failed to get circumcised, and sometimes uh, some... Uh, Sometimes I'm asked the question, well, why, why did God try to kill Moses after he called him? Called but nearly killed. <laughs> That's a good title, isn't it? Hey? Because you see, Moses had failed to bring his children into covenantal relationship with God through circumcision. And so his wife was very upset about the covenant of circumcision. Acts chapter 7 verse 8, it's referred to as the covenant of circumcision. So if you keep my covenant... And we find that that generation, 
before they entered the promised land, they had not been circumcised, so they were not in covenantal relationship with God. So God is saying, if you keep my covenant. Now, you'll notice here that later on, and I'll just uh, uh, anticipate this in, in time here, that God introduced what we call the MC or the Mosaic Covenant on a lower level because about six or seven times when Moses come down and told the people, like in verse 8, uh, Exodus 19, and all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses returned the words of the, uh, of the people to the Lord. And then about six or seven times, Moses would go up the mount, God would speak to him, then he'd go down and tell the people. And the people boastfully said, oh, anything God says, we'll do. She'll be right, mate. Typical Australians. Huh? You know, they didn't even say by his grace. They had done nothing for themselves so far. So far, it was God that did the plagues. It was God that told them to kill the Passover lamb, sprinkle the blood on the doorposts and so forth, and lintel, feed upon the body of the lamb. Everything had been by grace. They, had, they could do nothing to deliver themselves. Everything had been by grace. So they didn't say all that the Lord have said we will do by his grace. God says, if you obey my voice, keep my covenant. Uh, they're, just, they're just on the, uh, on the boasting side there. She'll be right, mate. We'll, anything God says, we'll do. So what we find eventually, and I haven't got time to do this part tonight, but uh, they drop down to a secondary level to the Mosaic covenant or the law covenant, as we call it, until Jesus came and introduced the new covenant. So we've got to keep this in mind because of our next session too. Abrahamic covenant, if you keep my covenant, that's all they know about. We'll confirm this more in a moment. Uh, but they drop down on the, on the basis of boasting. Anything God says, we'll do. They didn't even say by his grace. And, and, and so for 1,500 years, we could put this down here safely. 1,500 years, uh, it's like God said, okay, I'm going to let you go along the ro road of self-effort for 1,500 years to prove to yourself that you can't, apart from my grace, keep it. And so the law was a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. But up to this point, all they know is the Abrahamic cup. That's what God's talking about, as we'll see in a moment. All right, so keep my covenant. Well, you and I are covenant people, and uh, God will by his grace. I like uh, what Paul says, uh, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. But don't stop there, because what's the next verse say? Because say, if, if we just take that verse on its own, work out your own sal uh, salvation with fear and trembling, oh, I'm really working out of being a Christian. Um, uh, respond to me on this one. Uh, how many are trying to be good Christians? Hands up. How many haven't got a hand? Hands up. How many are a bunch of chicken? How many are not going to let me catch you? Okay. <laughs> I remember years ago, uh, a brother, and this helped me so much. Uh, he said, how many are trying to be Christians? And I put up both hands, yeah. He said, give it up. <laughs> I thought, that's ridiculous. And you know what he said? It was Major Ian Thomas, not from Salvation Army days, of course, but uh, that's what he was, chaplain, I think. And he said, it's impossible to live the Christian life. And you know what he said? The Christian life is the life Christ lived by him now in you. You see, I knew the truth of being in Christ, if any man be in Christ, 
but I never knew the other side of the coin, Christ in you. So he said, you know, uh, let me ask you again, you know, does God give, uh, give us anything impossible to do? How many would say no? How many would say yes? How many is still not going to let me catch you? Okay, the answer is God does give you something impossible. It's impossible to live the Christian life. So I remind you of what he said. The Christian life is the life Christ lived then, lived by him now in you. It's Christ reliving his life in you. That's the Christian life. So I said all that to say this. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Well, I'm working at it. No, read the next part. The next verse says, for it is God that works in you. And we can only work out as he works in. That's the balance between divine sovereignty and human responsibility. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I'm doing that. Human responsibility. For it is God that works in you to will and to do of his own good pleasure, divine sovereignty. So how many are going to let Jesus Christ live in you? He wants to relive his life throughout our redeemed, uh, through our redeemed personality. Everybody said hallelujah. Okay, so, so, so you pick up there something there, as we'll see later on. Okay, so if you keep my covenant, and the covenant there he was talking about was the Abrahamic covenant, okay? Circumcision, sign and seal of the covenant. And that's why God sought to kill Moses, called but killed, nearly because he had not brought his family into covenantal relationship with the Lord. All right, number three, next thing the Lord said, you will be a peculiar treasure unto me. And I'd like you to look at a couple of scriptures here. That's why I put them down. Okay, uh, first, uh, first uh, uh, Psalm. First scripture, Psalm 135. If you want a good commentary on the Bible, buy a Bible. <laughs> the Bible is its own best uh, commentary. Okay, so uh, verse, uh, verse 4, it says, um, For the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself, Israel for his special treasure. So you'll be a peculiar treasure to me. Old authorized says peculiar treasure. New King James says special treasure. So a peculiar treasure. And then Titus, the New Testament writers take this up. Uh, Titus chapter 2, Paul takes it up. And Titus 2 and uh, verse uh, 14. Where are we? Titus 2 verse 14. And he uses a similar language. He says, uh, Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all, all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people or his own special people, zealous for good works. So special treasure. And then we've already read the one in First uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 9. He's going way back to Exodus 19. And taking the purpose of Pentecost that was given to Old Testament Israel, the church in the wilderness, now applying it to the church. Okay, a peculiar treasure. All right, not peculiar, as I said before, in the head. All right, number four, the next uh, statement here, uh, expanding this a little bit more, he says, for all the earth is mine. Now, why did God say that? This is what I believe uh, by looking at other scriptures here, that God actually took Israel as a nation from the midst of a nation, actually to be a missionary nation. 
That was it. That was the purpose of it. The purpose was not just Passover, redemption by, by the Lamb. The purpose is given it here at Pentecost. I brought you on the eagle's wings under myself, and if you'll obey my voice, the issue, and keep my covenant, you'll be a, pe- a peculiar treasure to me. All the earth is mine. God had the, uh, uh, had the world in mind. And you see, I believe if, if Israel had fully fulfilled it, they only did it in a measure that they were to be an example nation to all the other nations, where other nations would say, what a great God they have, what great laws they have, what a mighty God, the way of approach to God, redemption, the tabernacle, everything is that, that was later on introduced. Uh, and it's very interesting to uh, just put down the scriptures, not on your notes, Matthew 13, 44. Matthew 13, 44, Jesus in one of the parables talks about the treasure that was hid in the field. In the Old Testament, that treasure was Israel. So peculiar treasure of Exodus 19 becomes the peculiar people in the New Testament. His own special or beyond the usual, one's own. All the earth is mine. So as I've got the scriptures there, what's the purpose of the New Testament church? Matthew 28, Mark 16. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Make disciples of all nations. That was the purpose. So God redeemed us by the blood of the Passover lamb, Jesus. He gives us his purpose in Pentecost, the Feast of Pentecost, to uh, all the earth is mine. God had a purpose. Not to be a blessing club, but to bless the nations of the earth. All right, now, notice under number five here, He says, you will be unto me a kingdom of priests. So number five, I want you to notice the word kingdom. Peter goes, as I said before, he goes way back to Exodus chapter 19 and takes the very language that was given to Israel, the church in the wilderness, and now applies it to the New Testament church. We are to be a kingdom. And uh, the word kingdom, as we know, is uh, sort of a, a, a... a, a, um, a combination of two words. Uh, a kingdom literally means king's domain, kingdom. And so as a kingdom, they were to be subjects and citizens over which God as their king would rule and reign. In other words, they were to be a theocratic kingdom. Notice the po- point here. Though they were called the church in the wilderness, yet the church was to be a kingdom. A demonstration of the kingdom of God, the rule and reign. And uh, Jesus linked those two words together. Upon this rock I will build my church and I'll give you the keys of the kingdom. So it's important, and uh, I can't get into that at the moment, but it's important uh, for us to understand the distinction and the relationship between church and kingdom. Church and kingdom. Uh, except a man be born again, he cannot enter the church. Does it say that? Except a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom. So how many are born again tonight? Oh, about a dozen of you. <laughs> Maybe we should have an altar call here and be done. How many are born again here tonight? When you were born again, you were born into the what? All right. How do you get into the church? How many are in the church? 
Now, th this is not the church. This is sheep shed, remember? All the sheep said, Amen. <laughs> There's only the shed where the sheep meet. This is not the church. People are church. Okay, so that's an interesting thing. See, so you notice we, we need to understand a bit more distinction and yet relationship between church and kingdom. We don't pray, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your church come. We say, your kingdom come. And then we don't pray, uh, and this gospel of the church will be preached in all the world for witness. Then shall the, No, it's this gospel of the kingdom. So I think today, as I've traveled around a bit, a lot of people and preachers are confused over the issue of the church and the kingdom. And then I had, God's finished with the church. It's the kingdom that matters. No, no, he'll never be finished with the church. The church is the body of Christ. So a lot of the stuff that I see floating around, sorry to get a little bit of Australian here, but uh, a lot of this uh, material that's coming out on the emerging church, forget it. Emerging church, so many of them so confused, and I've read eight books just to make sure I'm thinking straight here. God's finished with the church. He's doing a new thing outside the church. You know, the church is the body of Christ. You'll never see a head running around without a body. Not here, anyway. <laughs> and the church is the bride of Christ. So when people knock the church and knock the bride, say, you're punching yourself in the nose. There's, no new, there's nothing in the New Testament outside the church, which is the bride, body of Christ, the bride of Christ. I like to use the illustration. Uh, St. Reen is my wonderful bride. If anybody come up to her and said, you're not too good looking, you're not much of a film star. You know what I'd do? I'd punch him in the nose in the name of Jesus and repent afterwards. <laughs> because see, I love my bride with all her faults. I'll just to balance it out now. <laughs> she loves me with all my faults. Okay, so just got to please everybody here, you know, <laughs> men and women. So if I feel that way about my bride, how does the Lord feel about his church? Christ loved the church. He gave himself for the church. Paul said, I'm willing to fill up that which is lacking in the sufferings of Christ for the church, his body's sake. So every minister, everybody, we should love the, 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 the body of Christ, the church, his bride. Amen? So anyway, I've got that off my chest. I feel good about it. Okay, so a kingdom. So we need to understand relationship and distinction uh, between church and kingdom. In the, in the book of Acts, uh, book of John, except a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom, cannot see the kingdom. Uh, if you want to know how to get in the church, read Acts chapter 2. And maybe this might be a dangerous statement, but don't throw it away. It could be right. I sometimes wonder if some people are born into the kingdom, but have never, ever got into the church. And I'm talking about the New Testament church. Anyway, don't go and build a church on it, just... Keep in mind. Okay, now, a kingdom. Now, notice the part here. We're coming for landing here. A kingdom of priests. Now, please notice, and we'll link all this part of our puzzle up here. A kingdom of priests. So, the kingdom of God, happy, healthy, prosperous, blessed families in the kingdom. Kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. All right, now, uh, in First in Peter, I want you to notice how Peter sort of links this up in this pearl that we're building, hopefully. So 1 Peter chapter 2, 
Notice what he says here in verse 5 I'm reading. But you also as living stones, live stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, a holy priesthood. Then he says a holy priesthood. Uh, Then we go down to verse uh, 9 again, uh, a royal priesthood. So a kingdom of priests, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Okay, now notice this here. Uh, and 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 if, if you don't 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 believe me, you know, don't quite get it. Don't throw it away. It could be right. Now, when we go back here to the Abrahamic covenant, the only covenant that uh, Mel, uh, the only priesthood, pardon me, uh, that Mel, uh, Abraham knew anything about was the MPH, the Melchizedek priesthood. So, what God is actually offering the nation here is. The order of Melchizedek. You will be unto me kings and priests or a kingdom of priests. Now, notice here, and, uh, and we'll pick up a couple of thoughts here. Uh, when uh, Melchizedek, after Abraham had been through the battle of kings, this mysterious king comes along by the name of Melchizedek, king of righteousness, king of peace. He's not just uh, a righteous king or a peaceful king. He's king of righteousness, king of peace. There's only one person who fits that, that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And because whatever the king is, so the kingdom is. What's, if, if the king is king of righteousness and king of peace, what's his kingdom? Romans 14, 17. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and just for good measure, joy. So the kingdom is like the king. So all Abraham knows about so far is covenant time, Abrahamic covenant. He meets this mysterious person, Melchizedek, uh, priesthood, king and priest. He's a king and priest. They're offered to be a kingdom of priests. So Melchizedek priesthood. And then Melchizedek gives him bread and wine. First instance we have of communion in the Bible. And then Abraham gave him tithes of all. Now Abraham doesn't give his tithes and offerings to every Tom, Dick and Harry running around the country looking for a love offering. <laughs> we must have known who this king was. All right. So kingdom of priests. And Peter takes this very language up and says, hey, this is what you're called to be. Kingdom of priests, a royal priesthood. And then number seven, a holy nation. Wow. A holy nation. Holiness unto the Lord was to be impressed on the nations. You know, uh, I won't say it out of courtesy. I was uh, preaching at a particular place here in Melbourne and uh, they asked me to speak to the leaders and then asked me would I speak on Sunday morning. And I said, well, isn't Sunday morning that's your holiness meeting? They said, yeah. He said, we never even mention the word holiness now. But we're called to be a holy people. Holiness unto the Lord. Because, you see, they'd come out of a nation of Egypt where anything was but holy. So many gods and corruption, idolatrous, demonic power. And uh, when Peter quotes this, he actually quotes, uh, you are to be holy as the Lord is holy. He goes way back to Leviticus and quotes that and says, that's the purpose. So, you know, people, how many are spirit-filled tonight? How many receive the Holy Spirit? What does the Holy Spirit come for? To make us speak in tongues only? No, he comes to make us holy. 
And I think Pentecostal people should be the most holy people on the face of the earth. Thank you for that. <laughs> Underwhelming response again. Don't you think the Holy Spirit comes to make us holy? So I want you to be a holy nation. And it was stamped all the way through. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of Israel. So this was God's will. Abrahamic covenant, if you keep my covenant, then you'll be unto me a kingdom of priests, order of Melchizedek, communion, bread and wine, tithes, offerings and so forth. That was, that was the original thing. All right, let's uh, take a break in a moment. So down the bottom on conclusion here, Second Peter chapter 3. Peter is writing to the New Testament church. He's quoting from Moses, the Old Testament prophet. Peter's a New Testament apostle. And the purpose of God that was offered to Israel, the church in the wilderness, to be a kingdom of priests, that is to find fulfillment in the New Testament church, the people of God. How many can say amen? amen. So that's God's purpose for us as a church. He wants us to obey his voice. Keep his covenant. We're covenant people. We're peculiar treasure to him, not peculiar up here. God has a plan for the earth to be witnesses to him and to be a kingdom of priests, order of Melchizedek, which the New Testament says we are called to be kings and priests under God. We are to be a holy nation. Everybody said amen. If you've enjoyed today's teaching by Kevin Connor, be sure to check out his books available from word.com.au in Australia, amazon.com all over the world, and now downloadable as PDFs on kevinconnor.org.